And, uh, you know, I, I look at some of those questions there, and, I'm, and I think, uh, th- those are some good questions, things that we may be wrestling with in our own lives uh, today. I, I think a lot of times, especially just this season of, that we're in, in terms of kind of world history, there, there, is a, there are a lot of questions about identity and asking ourselves, who am I, and belonging, and where do I fit? And, uh, and asking ourselves questions about what is right and what is wrong and, uh, and things related to spirituality because I, I think we ask those questions without any real clear, obvious answers. In, in fact, there may be almost just a, an, a, a cloud of confusion that hangs over our head because what seemed to be so clear maybe in years past or in generations past is seems a little more fuzzy now. What was right or accepted as right uh, five or ten years ago is maybe thought of being wrong today or vice versa. What was wrong back then is accepted as, as right now. And, and, uh, and we're wrestling with questions of belonging and identity and, and purpose. And we wonder, even does spirituality have anything to say about that? Because even that seems fuzzy. Most people uh, claim to be spiritual, but that can mean a million different things. It means one thing for one person and another thing for another person. Because in a sense, our spirituality is like this catch-all. We take a little bit from this religion and a little bit from this faith and, and our experience here and what someone said over here. And then all of that is highly influenced by the culture around us. And so we've got this confusion that comes with all these big questions. And that's kind of scary. It's kinda, uh, it, it, makes us, uh, it makes us a little bit anxious. Well, I do find a little comfort in the fact that we're not alone. This is not the first time that this has happened. In fact, if we go all the way back to the biblical times, there's a couple of verses in, in Galatians that I see that speak almost as if they were written for our day and age today. I want to read Galatians 1, 6, and 7. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to another gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion by trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. You see, what I see in that message, in, in those verses, is these messages that are coming to the Galatians from different angles and different sides. They're, they're hearing all of these different things, and it says that they, it is throwing them into confusion. In fact, it says that they are quickly deserting uh, the gospel of grace that they were first called into. Does that not sound like our day and age today? How many are quickly deserting the gospel of grace that God has given to us? And it leads to confusion. In fact, if I didn't tell you this was in the New Testament, you almost might think these words were written by some wise person in 2023. And, uh, and I see a lot of parallels between uh, what's happening for the early church in Galatia and with what's happening for us today, it's actually quite remarkable. I'd like us to spend the next few months dig, doing a, d- a deep dive into Galatians. Because I think it's asking the questions that we're asking. 
It's asking questions of identity. Who am I? It's asking questions of belonging. Do I fit in? It's asking questions of purpose. Uh, uh, what can I contribute to, to this world? And, it ha and it's wrestling with the issues of race and spirituality like we are wrestling with today. In fact, this sermon series that we're going to go through in Galatians, we're going to take it one passage at a time. We're calling it, This is uh, for Everyone. This is for Everyone. And the reason we talk about it, that, uh, the reason we title it that, is because I think this has tremendous application for every one of us in the room. I think especially of teenagers and young adults who are really wrestling with questions of identity and belonging and purpose. The gospel of, or I mean, the, the book of Galatians has answers for those big questions. I think of parents that are trying to navigate those issues with their kids and also feeling the heavy pressure of the world around us and, the, and feeling like the culture is coming at us from different angles and maybe where we're being led in our faith. And I think the uh, book of Galatians has, has application for parents and families. And I think of the seniors who feel like maybe the world just is changing so quick it makes us feel dizzy. And you wonder, uh, what is really going on? Well, the book of Galatians has a word for us, and it's all grounded in what we're going to call the gospel of grace. That's what the book of Galatians is all about. The gospel of grace lays us a foundation to wrestle with the issues that we're wrestling with today. And it gives us big answers for the big questions that we're asking today. In fact, the gospel of grace gives us clarity and comfort amid all the confusion. And that's why we're doing a deep dive into Galatians over the next few months, passage by passage, because what we need is the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace gives us clarity and comfort amid all the confusion. In fact, let's just pause for a moment and ask that the Lord would speak to us now. Oh, Father God, we just come before you and, and uh, we humble ourselves in your presence. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit that you would be our teacher now. God, I pray that, that these questions and these issues that uh, we're wrestling with in our own lives and in our church and, and, uh, and in the world around us, God, we pray that you would give us answers. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that you would speak to us. And we recognize that we need you. Because with, without that, we are just left hanging in that cloud of confusion. And we ask and pray that you would guide us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 10. In fact, I want to encourage you, because we're going to go through this verse by verse, passage by passage, over the next few months, bring your Bible. And uh, if you use a Bible on your phone or on uh, your iPad or whatever, bring that. I don't care, but I think it's good to have the words in front of you. We'll still put them up on the screen, because that helps us to follow along. But the reason I really want you to have your Bible is because there's going to be places that you want to mark up. You want to underline, you want to highlight, you want to come back do during the week. I want to encourage that. To think, what is God saying here? So open up to Galatians 1, and uh, what we have here is the first letter that Paul wrote. 
Anyone know how many uh, books Paul wrote in the New Testament? Any Bibles, little Bible trivia here. Books in the New Testament? Anyone want to take a guess? Thirteen! Wrote thirteen books. And, uh, and this is the first one. It was written in 48 A.D. Think about that. 48 A.D. That's like 15 years after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. This is a brand new church. Brand new churches, I should say. This is written to the churches in Galatia, which is the whole region of modern-day Turkey. It's going out to several churches there that Paul had the opportunity to start a lot of them. And the fact that they are so young, I think, also helps indicate why this is so helpful to me. Because doesn't it feel like we've had to start over in the last few years? Like, the world has changed. I know as a church, we've had to try to rethink things. You've had to rethink things in, in your family to find new rhythms of life. This is uh, for brand new Christians who are living in a new world, and we ought to hear what uh, is said here, not only for them, but for us as well. Galatians 1, 1 through 10, it says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let him be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I like the way ancient letters start. They start by telling you who wrote the letter. The first word here is Paul, an apostle sent not from men or by a man, but sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Isn't it kind of funny that we don't sign our names until the very end of a letter? When you get a letter or an email, you, you don't write your name until uh, you get to the end. That, that seems to me like that's crucial information. Like you're going to read the letter completely different if it's from your uh, tax guy than it is from your mom. You want to know who it's from. And we're told here right off the bat, it's from Paul he says he's an apostle, and he's an apostle sent from God, the, the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, that idea that Jesus is raised from the dead is tied to the idea of being an apostle. One of the qualifications to be an apostle is they had to have met the living Christ. And Paul met the living Christ not in, the, in, the, in a traditional way, that like he met him after he rose from the dead during those 50 days uh, before he ascended into heaven. Paul met him in a vision on the, while he's traveling to the city 
by the name of Damascus. And Paul is traveling to that city because he's going there actually to persecute the Christians. And while he's on the road, he receives a vision of the living Christ who says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, he has, his whole life is switched, shift, does a 180. At, uh, at one moment, he is persecuting the church and, his, and, and Jesus. And now all of a sudden, he goes from being a persecutor of the church and of Jesus to being a protector of a church and a proclaimer of Jesus. His life does a 180. He's an apostle that is called to be a leader in the church. And, and then he gives them this warm greeting. You can tell he has love for the believers in this area of Galatia. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants what's, for, he wants what's best for them. In fact, as we open up Galatia, Galatians and we wrestle with these hard questions, we can just hear that message from God to us, grace and peace to you. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to experience his grace and his peace. He wants us, as we wrestle with these difficult questions in life, we, he wants us to have peace about them. He wants us to experience his grace. He gives this as a greeting, like a hello. How are you doing? This is how he starts all of his letters. But then he seamlessly transitions into what will be some of the most fundamental basic points that will undergird the whole book. In fact, in verse 4, we have the fundamental points of what is the gospel. And Galatians is all about the gospel, what, we're, what we call the, the gospel of grace. There are three things that he says about the gospel in verse 4. First of all, he says that Christ died for your sins. Christ died for your sins. That's fundamental. If you want to be a Christian, that's Christianity 101, that Jesus died for your sins. Now, that might sound kind of radical, the fact that someone has to die for your sins. My sins aren't that bad. Does it really require the Son of God coming to this earth and dying on the cross? Well, if we think that, we are underestimating two things. One, we're underestimating how badly we have sinned. But even more than that, we're underestimating how awesome God is. You see, God is so holy. Let me, let me see what I can do here. Maybe that's rubbing on my sweater. I'll put that down here. Uh, God is so holy, so righteous, so pure, that uh, he cannot just simply put up with sin. He can't sweep it under the rug. I've got a cup of water up here, and this is pure water. Got it out of the filtered water in our, in our kitchen uh, sink here at the church this morning, and I could gulp this down, and it would be not bad for me, but good for me. It'd refresh me right now. But what if, hypothetically speaking, I put one little drop of poison in this water. And then I'm getting ready to drink it. You know there's poison in it. And you, and you say, no, 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 don't drink it. Please promise me that you'd say that. Uh, if I've got poison in my water, uh, no, no, don't drink it. You're going to proclaim that's not good for you. Uh, and I'd be like, no, no, it's all right. 99.9% .9 of it's fine. It was just one little drop of poison. I'm, I'll be okay. And you're like, no, that, that one little drop of poison distorts the whole thing. Our lives, no matter how good we live, no matter how hard we try, when compared to the holiness and the purity of God, we fall far short. 
And so it means that there had to be a sacrifice for sin because God's wrath is, is stirred up out of his righteousness. It's stirred up because uh, it doesn't jive with his character. And so what does he do? He sends his own son to live that perfect life, to live the righteous, perfect life that we could not live on our own because of our sin. Sin means that we miss the mark. It's like a, it's like a term that an archer would use when uh, he or she shoots an arrow, and if it doesn't hit the exact bullseye, it's a sin. It missed the mark. And you and I, because uh, we have uh, disobeyed the Lord, we've missed the mark at times, Jesus come, Christ comes to hit the mark exactly in the in, square in the middle of the bullseye. Jesus dies for our sins. That's good news. That's the gospel of grace. And then it says in verse 4 that Jesus died to rescue us from this present evil age. We live in a present evil age. And uh, the, world of, uh, the world for the Galatians was surely the same, but uh, it doesn't take a lot of convincing to understand that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. Two weeks ago, we stood up here and uh, got the news, even that it was shocking news, that during the night, 10 people had been innocently, uh, 10 people that were innocent were gunned down for no reason just in Monterey Park, a few miles from here. We wonder, how in the world could that happen? This week, again, we got un unbelievable that this continues to happen, but another unarmed black man was beaten to death senselessly. It doesn't take a lot of convincing that we live in a, in a present evil age. And it isn't just the news headlines. We see the evil and the, and the confusion and the bitterness and the hatred all around us every day. It's a present evil age. Jesus has come to rescue us from this present evil age. That doesn't mean just that he pulls us out of it. One day we will when we go to heaven. But what that really means is that Jesus comes to make us new people in the midst of it. In this present evil age that we can, that we can uh, be, as Jesus says, born again. We can be new creatures, that we can have our lives renewed, that we can be born into a new family, the family of God, live in a new country, the, the kingdom of God. We can be rescued from this present evil age. And then the last thing it says about the gospel is that Jesus died according to God's will. God's will. God has a plan for this world. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for the world. The gospel is the redemption of the whole world. And Jesus came to die on the cross so that God's plan could be, uh, that God's plan could be put in place for the world and for our lives. That's the gospel. Jesus died to forgive your sins, to rescue you from the present evil age, and to bring you into God's loving plan for your life and for the world. And all of that is done by grace. You can't earn any of it. Grace means that you receive what you do not earn. It's a gift. It's God's unmerited favor. Grace is such a beautiful concept. It's the foundation of our faith, that you can't earn your salvation, that you, that you, can't, uh, that you can't do anything to measure up to God's holiness. It's a gift that God gives us. That's what it means to be grace. Uh, that's what grace means. But in fact, grace is such a beautiful concept that it is almost hard to accept. Nothing can be that good. 
I lived in a family that uh, my dad would say all the, t- all the time, uh, nothing's ever really free. There's always strings attached somewhere. Well, grace is really free. Uh, grace says that there is nothing that we can earn. Now, we have a hard time accepting that, and so did the Galatians. In fact, the Judaizers, who, this, who, who are going to become very prominent in this book, these were false teachers that couldn't get their minds around grace. They said, yes, you're saved by grace, but now that you're Christians, you got to live by the law. They were trying to bring works of righteousness back into the law. They couldn't leave good enough alone. The Judaizers couldn't leave grace. They couldn't leave grace is, alone, is enough alone. They thought you have to bring in the works of the law, the, the ceremonial practices of the Old Testament. And what they brought in was legalism. Legalism is the idea that you have to follow a certain set of rules to grow in your faith. And legalism is the opposite of grace. Grace says you can't earn it, uh, and legalism says you gotta earn it. You gotta do do this or that. And Paul has the harshest condemnation for these false teachers. You can tell in verses 8 and 9 that Paul is fired up He says twice, if anyone comes to you with a different message, a different gospel than what I have proclaimed to you, let him be be cursed by God. Even if it's an angel from heaven, they're proclaiming something else. Let him be under a curse. This is as close as Paul can uh, get to using four-letter words. Like he's ticked off. Don't let him do that. uh, If you do, you're going to ruin the whole faith. All of Christianity is going to be destroyed because Christianity is different than everything else in the world, every other religion. Every other religion teaches you got to work hard, you got to earn your way. It's no different than the world in which we have all this pressure. You got to do this, you got to do that, you got to measure up, you got you to pull yourself up, you got to make yourself look good. It is a world full of a lot of pressure, and grace comes and releases the pressure valve and says the pressure's off. You don't have to earn your way. You don't have to measure up. In fact, the truth is you don't measure up. You can't work hard enough. You, you can't live for the glory of God. It's like, you, you know, you got the, your, your tire and it's got the pressure, it's got the little valve that you put the air in. If you put a little tip of the nail on that and hit it, it and the pressure is released. That's what grace does for us. It releases the pressure. And I just want to proclaim that as clear as I can because I think we live in a pressurized world. Do you ever feel the pressure at work, at, at school? You got to perform. You got to get the grades. You got you to work hard. We get pressure from our parents. We get pressure from our bosses. We get press, pressure from uh, from everyone around us who has expectations of us. It's a, it's a pressure-packed world. Sometimes we just get that ch- uh, tightness in our chest. It's almost like if you can't take a satisfying breath and we lose sleep at night and it's like a, a, a cloud hangs over us, a, a pressure on our shoulder where our heart races, our, our minds races, our minds race. It's all from the pressure around us. We receive pressure from so many sources. And then that pressure, I just want to say, uh, that pressure, I think, is, 
is uh, increases, intensified by the social media world that we live in. Because there's constant pressure to post something to make yourself look good. Now, this isn't me. I'm not a social media guy. But I know people are on social media every day and they feel pressure to look good. Make your family look good. Have a good, post a picture of a good meal. That one always gets me. You put pictures of food. And you know what it is? Yeah, sure, it's, it's showing what you enjoy, but sometimes I think it can cross over into you're trying to protect a brand to make your life look so wonderful that, that, you have a, that, you're, that you're living a wonderful life, that your family has it all together. It just continues to build and the, the pressure is on. And here is where we need the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace says the pressure's off. The pressure's off, first of all, to perform. uh, The gospel of grace says you cannot uh, earn your way to God or or to a good life. It it takes the pressure off to perform. The Judaizers were coming to the Galatians and saying, you got to perform, you got to do this, you got to do that, and have all, all this set of rules. And we have rules coming at us from all kinds of directions. And the gospel of grace says, let let it go. Those may be important things, but you're not going to find your identity in those things. You're not going to find your belonging in those things. You're not going to find your uh, purpose in those things. To release those things, the pressure's off to live in the grace of God who says, I love you just as you are. The gospel of grace releases the pressure to perform. It also releases the pressure to please people. And that is such a big one. In fact, I want to quote one teenager that I read. Uh, She says, I think a lot about what other people think of me, whether or not someone likes me, whether they thought what I said was weird or stuff like that. I envy people who are like, I don't really care. I wish that was me, but it's not. And I'll say, that's not me either. I admit that that there is that desire to please others when I feel like I've let others down that, that That hurts. It it takes me a while to get over that. I lose sleep over that kind of stuff. And I just think we need to hear the the gospel of grace that says the pressure's off. You don't live to please others. You, You live to please the Lord. Look at what Paul says here in verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, there's one of the verses you ought to mark. That's a verse verse worth coming back to. In fact, that's a verse I want to print off and put on my desk or on the refrigerator. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Who am I living for? Who is is ultimately my greatest source of concern? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, Paul is giving us a new identity here. We're a servant of Christ. We're a child of God. We're loved by him. And we cannot earn that. It's by grace. We do not live for the approval of others. but We live for the approval of God. I'd like to give us a chart here just to help us to, in summary form to see all of this together. I'm going to put two columns. On the left side of the column, we're going to entitle legalism. 
And on the right side of the column, we're going to have a, a column we call uh, gospel. Now, the legalism co uh, column is the realm of confusion because there's so much being demanded of us, we never know if we've hit the mark. We never know if we're measuring up. It's a realm of confusion, but the gospel column is a column of grace. Now, the first thing that goes under the legalism column is a big audience. It's as if our lives were lived on a stage and we have all these people in front of us. And here are our parents and here are our friends and here are our co-workers and here are our church friends and here are our neighbors and here are the community people and, and uh, the, the people we serve on the community uh, group with and, and all of these things. And what will please this group might be very different than what will please this group which will be different than, and it's a big audience, and it's a lot of pressure. In fact, you cannot meet the expectations of everyone in the room. It's a big audience, but under the column of grace, there is an audience of one, that we live for Jesus, and we live to please him alone. Now, on the left-hand side, again, there is this statement that I am not blank enough, and you fill in the blank. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not charismatic enough. I'm not uh, successful enough. I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I'm not athletic enough. I'm not accomplished enough. The legalism column has a lot of I am not enough stuff. And it's a pressure-packed world. But the gospel simply says I am enough. That Jesus has made me exactly as, as he wants to make me and God doesn't make mistakes that I am enough in Christ. He has made me whole. Not by anything that I've done, but through Jesus, I am enough. And on the legalism side, it says, I've got to protect my image. I've got to make myself look good. Isn't that what's behind social media? Isn't that what's behind so much of what we do? We don't want to let the nasty out. We don't want to let people know when we've messed up. We want our family to look perfect. We want ourselves to look perfect. It's almost like we've got a brand to protect. Nike and Under Armour, they got a brand to protect. We've got a brand to protect. i got to make sure Pastor Corey looks good. There's an image there. But the, gospel, uh, sa but the gospel says that God knows the real me and loves me just as I am in Christ. There's no, there's no image to protect. We stand bare before God and God loves us. And ultimately, legalism gives us the message that you are not enough. If you live with all the messages that are coming around you in this world, and this is where the confusion of the world is, we've talked about we wrestle with all these questions, we're being bombarded by messages from every direction. If you believe any of that, you will always eventually come to the conclusion that you are not enough. But it is when we find our lives under the gospel of grace that we finally hear God's words that you are enough. That in Christ, you are enough. In fact, that's the way we could summarize the whole gospel of grace. That you are enough in Christ. That when we come before him and we lay it all before him, he washes us clean. He gives us a new life. That we are born again and we are enough. We are complete. And so now the application is, we know that that's the gospel. The application is to live in it. 
In fact, I think we fall into the trap of the Judaizers so often. We know that we're saved by grace, but then we fall into the trap that now we got to start working. And that's what the Judaizer says. And remember how fired up Paul got about that? He says, let it never be. Be under a curse if that's the truth. And we can't fall back into the same trap. We have to learn to live under the gospel of grace every day. It's not just a decision that you make on your spiritual birthday, the day you receive Jesus into your life. It's what we preach to ourselves every day. And so I challenge you, look at that left-hand side of the column and where do we see ourselves getting, uh, getting off track? Do we see ourselves falling into one of these traps or believing one of these lies that you're not enough? Or that you, you fall in the trap of living for a big audience. The application this week is to confront those lies and, and those traps with the truth of the gospel. See, I, I get paid to be a preacher, but you've got to be a preacher too. The challenge is you don't get paid for it and you've got to preach to yourself. You preach the gospel to yourself every day that I am enough, that I'm loved by God, that I'm complete in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You are saved by grace. Now, now we live into that grace. We become new creatures in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in, in Christ, he or she is a new creature. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And so we live as new people, as, as, as uh, children of God. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In other words, you're enough. You're loved by God. You're complete in Christ. You're loved in Christ. You live not because of what you can do or what you can accomplish, but you live by the grace of the gospel that Jesus loves us just as we are. So that's Galatians 1, 1 through 10. And ooh, that's a good one. We're off to a good start. This is going to be fun over the course of the next uh, few months. I'm excited as God uh, impresses these words upon us. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you do love us so much. We thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we can be rescued from this present evil age and so that we can enter into your will. And so God, I pray that as we continue to just embrace the truths of the gospel new and fresh every day, I pray that those truths would sink deep into our hearts and that we would live by them. Help us to be freed from the demands of legalism and trying to, and, and trying to uh, perform or to please others and help us to live into grace. 
to receive the gospel of grace into our hearts new and fresh every day that we could welcome, uh, that we could, that we could uh, be in fellowship with your spirit. We could sense your love. That we could have your power. And that we could live as children of yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to take communion, the, uh, the ushers will come around with a cup of uh, with a communion elements if you don't have those. If you don't have them, just hold your hand up and uh, leave it up. And they're, they're coming around now and they will um, and they'll help you prepare for communion. You know, today is a very appropriate day for us to have communion because we are reminded of uh, the good news of the gospel, that, that what we celebrate here is Jesus' death. This cracker is symbolic. It represents his body. The juice is symbolic. It represents his blood. And uh, there's, there's no elements in and of themselves. Like you can go home and get a whole lot more grape juice than this has, and you're not going to be any more powerful than you are right now. What comes with power is not the juice and the cracker. It's the Holy Spirit that comes and ministers in us when we turn our hearts and our minds to what Jesus has done for us. And so my challenge for us today, as we have a few quiet minutes uh, to prepare our hearts to, to uh, take communion, is first of all, if you are here this morning and you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I just want to impress that truth upon you again that God loves you so much and he wants to come into your life. And you receive the gift of salvation simply by placing your trust in him by asking him to come in and, and asking him to forgive your sins. And he will come in and he will create in you uh, a new person by his Holy Spirit who will live inside of you. So if that is you, just take a few moments as we have some quiet uh, minutes together to pray to the Lord. And if you're here and you're already a believer, uh, I just encourage you to rest in the gospel of grace to put the pin in the, in, the, in the little plug that releases the pressure, to let the gospel do its work and to recognize that the pressure is off, the pressure to perform and the pressure to please others. Let's go before the Lord in just these quiet moments in his presence.
take out the cracker and we'll eat together. Sorry, give me a minute. I'm struggling with this one today. Can I get another one? I can't get this one open. <laughs> God's word says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. God's word goes on to conclude by saying, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, we thank you that you did send your son Jesus to this earth to die on the cross. As we take these communion elements, we are reminded of your holiness and your righteousness that our sins deserve punishment but we are thankful that you sent your son Jesus to pay the price for us. We thank you that our forgiven, that we are rescued from this present evil age. We are brought into your plan and your will for our lives. God, we thank you for the gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.